right, would all the dads stand? If you're a father, we'd like you to stand up. We'd like to honor you this morning, all the dads out there. And we're going to, I want to say a prayer for the dads so you guys remain standing. Partway through the prayer, I'm going to ask all of the young men, no matter what, from whatever age, if you're not standing now, not young, just any any man who's not standing to pray, because I'd like to finish um, up praying for everybody. So can we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, today we ask you to bless our earthly fathers for the many times they've reflected the love, the strength, the generosity, the wisdom, and the mercy that you exemplify in your relationship with us, your children. We honor our fathers for putting our needs, their, our needs above their own convenience and comfort for teaching us to show courage and determination in the face of adversity, for challenging us to move beyond self-limiting boundaries, and for modeling the qualities that would turn us into responsible, principled, caring adults. Give new and future fathers the guidance they need to raise happy and holy children, grounded in love for you and for other people. Dear Heavenly Father, for many this day, we know it's a day of joy and celebration, but for others that it's an especially painful day. Many have lost fathers recently. Not all fathers have lived up to the ideals. So give us the grace to extend to them the same forgiveness you offer to us all. Help us to resist the urge to stay stuck in past bitterness, instead moving forward with humility and peace of heart. We ask your blessing on those men who served as father figures in our lives when our biological fathers weren't able to do so. May the love and selflessness they showed us be returned to them and all their relationships and help them to know that their influence has changed us for the better. I'd like all men, all guys to stand. I want to pray for all of you. Gracious God, thank you for every man and boy that's here today and for everyone we have brought with us in our hearts. Reveal your purpose and plan for their life. Bless them and protect them. Deepen their love and trust of you. Strengthen them, empower them, anoint them with your Holy Spirit that their faith, influence, and achievement would bring you honor and glory. Receive our thanks and praise again for these men and men in the making for they are precious to us and to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, can we let the dads know one more time how much we appreciate them? Dads, we have donuts for you afterwards, um, so enjoy the day, I'm sure with most of us with family. So, um, yeah, we're going to be, I'm coming back to a thing that I touched on back in May, and it's so significant, I don't do this all the time, but I did make a notes page. If you didn't get one of these, you might want to to jot some stuff down on this diagram because I really think this, this has been significant in my life. I'm just curious if there's anybody who didn't get one of these who would like one, if you could raise a hand, we could have somebody run one to you. Is there anybody who didn't get one that would like one to get some notes? Brother Samuel. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, raise your hand high, keep it up, and we'll get them to you. Yep, I think everybody. Jim, man, you did a great job, other than Brother Samuel, and he was helping you, and he didn't get one, so I don't know about that. (laughs) Dude, you've got your own. You're just being nice for somebody sitting beside you, aren't you? (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, so if you would turn there. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. And we're going to be looking at the life of Moses and comparing it to the thing that I talked about. It was about a month ago. Uh, And if you remember, we're in the middle of the series on the names of God, and we looked at a story of Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel. And if you remember, he said something in that encounter that just stuck with me. It's one of those sentences I've known a long time. That's one of the saddest things ever said in Scripture, um, where he said, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. Um, I said then, that's one of the saddest, one of the scariest things. It, would it not be tragic if God wanted to miss you in some, meet you in some way, and you missed it? 
Um, to me, that would be tragic. If he has something from me, I want to receive it. Um, and so that's, to me, just that sentence is just is humbling and it, and it makes you think. So back in May, what I talked about was that Jacob had had at Bethel, he had had a Kairos moment. And we're going to delve into this today. Um, it was a God moment. I'm going to use those interchangeably, Kairos moment, God moment. And if you remember a Kairos moment, I distinguish between Kronos time and Kairos because there's two Greek words for time. Chronos is where we get our word chronology, or chronometer, that was the old word for a watch. Chronos time is time measured in seconds, minutes, days, hours, months, years, it's calendar time. Kairos time, on the other hand, we don't have a, an English word that comes from Kairos, um, but Kairos time is, is time that's it's the, like the decisive moment, it's the moment of truth, it's the time to strike, it's an opportune time or the appointed time. And just like David, I mean, just like, not David, Jacob had at Bethel, there are times that God wants to meet us in our lives in a very specific Kairos kind of moment. And it's His way of getting our attention and inviting us to walk more deeply with Him. And if you remember, we went through the model, and it's on here, and I'm going to walk you through that this morning, because I'm convinced that we need to learn to recognize our Kairos moments. And over the years I've learned, I mean, we don't talk about that much, so a lot of people don't really know even language to put with it or how to do that, and so we want to go through this model. I need to give thanks to where it belongs. I first learned of this particular word and model from Mike Breen, and then Teach Your Children Well, Sarah Cowan Johnson took it and way improved it in my opinion. Really good book. I'm going to come back to that at the end. And then I ended up tweaking it, and Lisa helped me to wordsmith some of it. So I just need to give credit to where it's due. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. And we're going to see how this model actually fit his life and how God intersected in his own life. So in chapter 3. So let me set it up briefly. Um, Abraham, we've been doing a lot with Abraham this semester. Um, You know, he had his son Isaac, who had Jacob, who had Joseph. Joseph ended up being sold as a slave to Egypt. Through that, the whole family made their way to Egypt. And that's the whole last 19 chapters of of Genesis is that story of Joseph and them going to Egypt. And they spent 400 years there enslaved in bondage to the Egyptians. And it was a cruel bondage. If you were to read chapter 2, here's some of the words you would see describing their bondage. That it was ruthless, it was bitter, it was hard, they were in misery. We're told that it involved abuse, oppression, forced labor, and beatings. The Pharaoh even ordered that the firstborn sons, all the firstborn sons of the Israelites, would be slaughtered. Um, And we're told several times in those opening chapters that the people of Israel groaned under the oppression and they cried out to God for help. And Moses, and I'm not going to go into his story, but one day he saw a fellow Israelite being beaten and he murdered the Egyptian who did it. And he ended up running away in the self-exile. Um, to, and here's on the map, from Egypt, he went hundreds of miles away to Midian. And Midian is where he ended up setting up shop and, and living for 40 years. And I want you to know, Midian is a barren desert. It's barren there where he went to. Okay, so now that I've got that set up, I want to jump into the model. I want to dive in. And it starts in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, and it is 40 years later. And so let's look at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he went out to care for the sheep like he had done thousands of days before. He had been there 40 years, thousands of days before, not knowing that that day God had something very special for him, was going to meet him in a very unique way, in a God moment. And so suddenly, out of the blue, something happens in verse 2. God interrupts his life. Look at verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And we've already talked about the angel of the Lord, and I'm not going to go into that this day. But essentially, God appears to him in the burning bush. We all know images like this. God shows up in his life, and would you not say in a rather unique way? Was that a pretty unique way? I mean, how many of you guys, when you've been out mowing your lawn... The angel of the Lord showed up in a bush and in shrubbery, and it wasn't destroyed. I mean, none of us have had that experience, right? And that's his, that's his kairos moment. That's his God moment. And, you know, it's the same with us. Um, we're going through life as usual. 
And we have no idea that maybe that today God wants to intersect my life in a special way. And He'll show up, not in a burning bush, but He'll show up in some way. Sometimes they're big. We'll get to that in a minute. But He will show up, and I'll have a little burning bush of some sort in my own life where He intersects my life and wants to speak to me. And as I said about a month ago, sometimes those are dramatic. They're like epic. They're really huge, super obvious, like Jacob at Bethel or Moses at his burning bush. And those are the kind of moments that can really radically change a life, the alter the course of your life. We're going to get that a little bit later. But more often than not, they're subtle. They're not super um, giant. They're very unassuming. And so I didn't, when we talked about this a month ago, I did not talk about how do you recognize a Kairos moment. And I ended up putting, I decided to stick this on the back. If you look on the back, I'll talk about what dramatic ones might look like and what the more subtle ones look like. And you can look through that a little bit later. Um, the dramatic ones, just give me an example from my life. Um, funerals can be a dramatic Kairos moment, can change the course of a person's life. When my cousin died at 18 and I went to that funeral as a totally lost person, unchurched, that's what set me on the course of seeking God because I had no idea what would happen to me after I died. That was a huge Kairos moment in my life where God met me and set my life on a different direction. But again, most of them are really subtle. It's like you're reading a book and a quote jumps out or a line grabs you or in your devotional. A scripture um, just grabs your heart like, like they don't normally do. You know, God will speak to you, but something just really gets you and it sticks with you. Something that a friend said, a line from a song, um, a conversation with a friend. I had one of these a couple of months ago. Somebody that's in here right now just said a sentence to me that grabbed me so profoundly and a fra- almost a phrase and that thing stuck with me. I knew that God had a purpose for it and have ended up using it several times. It, it was extremely helpful. But the thing I want to say, uh, let me hit one more kind. Yeah, it's just something will kind of grab you. One that I want you to really be aware of. When we went through the series on idolatry, do you remember we talked about that if I have an extreme emotional response to an event, I need to stop and reflect on that. Tim Keller says you need, to, you need to pull that thing up by the roots because often dangling underneath will be an idol that the reason I've had such an extreme response of anger, of guilt and shame, of sadness or of fear to that particular event is that there's something going on in my life. Could be an idol. It also could be a false core narrative I have, a false core belief, and that that extreme emotional response is God's way of kind of stepping into my life and saying, I'd like you to stop a minute and reflect on that and dig into it. I want to go deep with who you are and maybe show you something about yourself. I used the example back then of uh, when you go to Colorado, there's these wonderful clear streams, and sometimes you'll, you always want to put your feet in them, right? Take off your shoes and your socks. And it looks totally clear until you step into it. And once you step into it, the mud and silt comes up and it muddies the water. And that sometimes I can be going on in my life thinking things are great and God wants to show me something about my heart, like an idol, something I'm loving more than Him or some false narrative that I have. And what He'll do is He'll use an event to step into my heart and I have a very strong emotional reaction. And I'm not saying all strong emotions are tied to this, okay? But if I have a strong emotional reaction to an event, I often stop and ask the question, is this a Kairos moment? Is God stepping into my life to meet with me? Um, so don't, don't ignore those. I think those are the significant, those emotions. But whether dramatic or subtle, Kairos moments can be recognized, I think, by, their, by how unique they are and how profound the impact is. It strikes me deeply. It won't let me go. It, it hangs on to me. There tends to be a weightiness to it. I can just tell there's something different. Perhaps there's a sense of urgency that's tied to it. And so whatever form it takes, God's trying to get our attention. He's inviting us to respond. Now, when I have a God moment, I have a choice, right? Um, I'll get to that in a second. I can either miss it altogether and not recognize it, right? Or hopefully I'll see it. I'll see it and I'll know something's going on. It might be God meeting me in my life. And I want you to look at, before I get to that, Moses took notice of his God moment. So look at verse 2, the second half of verse 2. It says, Moses saw that the bush was on fire and did not burn up. The NLT says, Moses stared in amazement. So he saw it and it caught his attention, right? And that's really step one of a Kairos moment. It is identifying the God moment. It's seeing what it, it is that it, for what it is, that it potentially could be God wanting to meet me. 
And once I do that, once I identify it, then I've got a choice. I can either ignore it and remain on the path that I'm on, just keep going, continuing life as normal, letting it pass me by, or I can enter into it. I can intentionally stop and seek to turn aside and and delve into it, explore it. And hopefully we'll enter into it, and that is step two of a Kairos moment. It's hopefully that we'll enter into that God moment. So look at Moses in verse 3. Let's see what he did, okay? Um, Because he stopped, he he identified it, and then verse 3, so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. The Septuagint, or that Greek translation of the Old Testament, puts it this way, Moses said, I will go near. The New American Standard says, I will turn aside and see. I like the New Living Translation. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. I must go see it. I must go see it. So we see Moses stepping into his God moment. He decides to enter in. Um, and when we step into our Kairos moment or our God moment, we do, we do so desiring to meet God in it and to take hold of whatever He has for us. And so we explore it, hoping to encounter Him in a more deep and profound way. And if you remember, this entering into has three parts to it, three parts, three things that I have to do if I want to catch the God moment. They are encounter, orient, or reorient, and participate. And all three are important because God wants to meet me in the totality of who I am, the totality of who I am. He wants to meet me, me heart, heart, mind, and will in all of those. So we encounter God with our heart, we orient or reorient with our head, and we participate with our hands. So first, we encounter. We decide to enter into that circle. We do so knowing it's an opportunity to, to enter into deeper intimacy with God. And so we, we turn our heart towards Him, right? We cry out to the Holy Spirit, invite Him to meet us in the middle of it, wanting to explore this with God. And we say, Lord, yes, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Here's the key question in encounter. God, how are you wanting to meet me in this, and what are you desiring to do in my life? That's the key question. How are you wanting to meet me in this? What are you wanting to do? And so we converse with him, we listen, we ask questions, and we enter into it knowing that God always responds to those who are hungry for him. He always responds. And that's what happened to Moses. I want you to see, look at God's response to Moses' response in verse 4. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, and here I am, Moses replied. I love that response. So he responds, God responds back to meet him in the moment. So second, we need to orient or reorient our thinking based on what is needed. And I want you to know Kairos moments always involve a reordering of our thinking in some form. When you enter in a Kairos moment, you're entering into a learning moment. He's wanting to either teach me something new about himself, maybe he wants to reveal something to me about myself that I didn't know, maybe he wants to teach me more fully something I already knew, but he wants me to to get into it deeper, more experientially. It may be that he's wanting to change incorrect false beliefs or narratives in it, or he may be wanting to show me where he's at work in somebody's life. We'll come back to that in a minute, where where he's at work around me. And so we engage in the Kairos moment with our head. We engage with our head. We want to learn the new thing He has for us. So we, we strive to bring our mind into alignment with Him. And the key question here is, is God, what is the new thing you're trying to show me or to teach me through this? What's the new thing? And so I observe, I reflect, I pray, I seek godly counsel from trusted spiritual friends. That's big for me. Scripture's crucial. I dig into the Word because we measure everything by the plumb line of the Word of God. Um, And you can see this orienting happening in the mind of Moses in his life. Look at verses 5 to 15. I want you to show you this in his life, how God is revealing new things to him. So first, God reveals himself in verses 5 and 6. He says, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God reveals to him the kind of God he is. Look at verse 7. 
Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their hard slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And then God reveals that he's up to something, that he's about to do something in verses 8 to 10. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. And then in verses 14 to 15, go down to there. In response to a question from Moses asking his name, and we'd studied this by three months ago, God reveals his name and thereby his character, his essence to him. So he says, God replies to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, Yahweh, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So Moses has some orientation or reorientation going on in his thinking. All right, back to the circle. A Kairos moment is much more than just gaining new information, right? It's much more than that. It's about our spiritual formation. God is wanting to change us. And so a Kairos moment, when it occurs, it always brings you to a point of decision. It'll always bring you to a point of decision. In some way, God is going to call us to step into the thing, Um, and we're going to see this in Moses' life in a minute. So that final part is he's wanting to have a work in my life, and so he asked me to put my hand to work, to join him in what he's wanting to do in my life. A decision has to be made, and that requires obedience. I have to adjust myself to him and what he's wanting to do. So the key question here is, God, what do you want me to do in response to this encounter? What do you want me to do in response to this encounter? Sometimes it's a um, one-time action step that he's asking you to take. Sometimes he's asking you to take on a new, a new pattern, a new rhythm in your spiritual life, a new practice, a new way of living. We see response in verse 10. Look at Moses. We see where his kairos moment requires a response. And here's what verse 10 says, now go. For I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And that same call is repeated again in verses 16 to 17. That's quite an amazing call, isn't it? Can you imagine the weightiness of that? Uh, Who wouldn't be up for that? Go to Pharaoh. Lead my people out. Um, When I shared this before, I talked about this third part is so critical. It's so critical. Um, Disobedience. Because, as I said, many balk at this point, and they bail on their God moment, and they actually lose the opportunity for growth and a new kind of life. And do you know why we usually bail? Because it asks something of us. It's asking us to do something. It requires some form of adjustment, some form of change. And who doesn't love change as long as it's not on our terms and what, when we want it, right? I mean, who just doesn't love change? Kairos moments frequently ask us to step in the own and take risks. Moses, man, his involved all of those. And I want you to see what Moses did because Moses balked at it. He balked. The weight of the request was too heavy. And we're going to see him say, you're sending me to Pharaoh? You want me to lead the people out of Egypt? So I want you to see his response in verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I? to a beer before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God, you've got the wrong guy, right? You meant to talk to Jethro, my father-in-law, the priest of Midian. That's who you meant to show up today. I am not capable of doing this. I'm not your man. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 12. I love this answer. God answers, I'll be with you, right? That's it. I promise you my presence, the thing you most need. I'll be with you in this thing. This thing that's so risky, that's so scary, I'll be with you. And this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But that wasn't enough for Moses. Skip ahead to chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? 
Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. And then God mentioned two other miracles in verses 6 to 9. I'm not going to read those this morning. But that's still not enough, enough for Moses. He comes back at God a third time, and this is in verses 10 to 12. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. And I like how he shifted from protesting the first two times, now he's pleading. Because like he knows, um, he's losing the argument, right? So Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. You notice how often he says I and me in that, in that pleading? Uh, man, as I read this, I'm like, this dude is relentless. Is he not relentless in not wanting to step into this? Um, he feels totally unqualified and incapable. Have you ever been there? I totally get Moses. Have you ever felt that way? Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, or asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you what to say. But Moses is going to come back a fourth time, verse 13. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else, anybody but me. In words probably only my generation would get, Moses is saying, let Mikey do it because Mikey will do anything, right? Uh, if you're younger, get on YouTube today and type in Mikey and Life Serial, Okay. That's what Moses is doing. He's like, anybody but me, please. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him. Put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. All right, so back to the diagram. If I balk and then I bail at this point, that's what we do. I want you to know you are short-circuiting the process that God has you on, and you're just putting yourself back on the path of where you were. Just back to the status quo, same old, same old, previous pattern of life, moving in the same direction. And if we do that, we lose our God moment. We lose it. Possibly even we waste it. But I want you to know, even though Moses balked, he didn't bail. Isn't that good? He didn't bail. Um, he put his hands to the task. He didn't waste his kairos moment. After all of his protesting and all of his pleading, he still responded. Look at verses 18 to 20. Verses 18 to 20. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, headed back to the land of Egypt, and in his hand he carried, what? The staff of God, the thing that God promised to use. Good for Moses. He stepped into it. He decided to put his hand to the task to participate. And then that brings us to step three, that if I'll, if I'll step into my kairos moment in obedience, then God will be able to send my life in a new trajectory. And he'll be able to do the transforming work in my life that he desires so much. And I mean, ultimately, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want what God has to offer them and what God wants to do through them? So that's the third part of this. And if you know Moses and his story by entering into his Kairos moment, I mean, talk about the change and transformation that came in his life, right? That guy saw and performed some of the most amazing miracles in the Bible. He led a whole nation out of Egypt, out of bondage, in freedom, all the way to the promised land. He didn't quite get in, but he led them there. 
And not only did he have some of the most amazing experiences in his life because he stepped into it, but Exodus 33.11 says this. This is even more important. He developed a much deeper intimacy with God because he stepped into it. In Exodus 33.11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks, one speaks to a friend, as one speaks to a friend. So isn't it cool, everything that Moses gained by stepping into that? Imagine if he had just stayed in Midian his whole life and died there. Just imagine. But I want to communicate one other thing. Not only did Moses experience a Kairos moment by stepping into that, I mean, he stepped into it, but I want you to know that through his obedience, by him stepping into that Moses, that Kairos moment, he helped a whole nation of people have their own Kairos moments, okay? It wasn't just his. It ended up being theirs. They experienced through him the same miracles that he did, and especially one of the largest miracles in all of the Bible, they got to witness the Red Sea part and be dried, and they walked through all the way in dry ground. And it was through Moses and him stepping into his Kairos moment and helping deliver those people that they all were able to have their own Kairos moments. So many times my Kairos moment is not just for myself. You know that? God wants to do, I think, so often with me and with you the same thing. That many times I've had the experience that maybe something in the Word will stand out, or maybe the verse of the day that pops up and it really grabs my heart, or I read something, or somebody gives me a quote. I feel like God speaks to me in some way. And like three days later, a week later, a month later, you're talking to somebody and you realize this thing they need, and then you give it to them and you see them have a Kairos moment. Have you ever had that happen? And it, you kind of realize, you know what, that impacted me, but that was more for them than it actually was for me. I've seen on multiple occasions the thing I shared have a greater impact on them than it did me. And I'm like, you gave me a Kairos moment so I could mediate that like Moses did to the people of Israel to that person. Isn't it cool to be used by God in that way? I think it's so cool the way God uses us. Now, to recognize and step in our Kairos moments, I didn't share any of this last in a month ago. There are three things that are required, and these three things are really important. Three things that are required. Number one is attunement. We have to have our hearts attuned to Him so we can be more readily able to hear His voice. Do you remember a couple months ago we talked about resonant frequency? How that if you strike a note um, on a, I called that the wrong thing. What I call that? It's a pitchfork, right? It's a pitchfork. Tuning fork. Oh, a pitch, not a pitchfork. I did it again. Pitchfork's like what Satan has, right? He's got the horns and he's got like a farmer's. Okay, anyways, tuning fork, that if you strike that note, the same string that's tuned to that on a guitar will resonate, right? And so we talked about that this is how we're transformed by God, by the Holy Spirit, that by daily engaging in spiritual exercises and entering into soul environments, I am attuning my heart to Him so that when the Holy Spirit sings, that I'll, that that'll resonate in me. Remember talking about that? So I have to attune my heart to Him. And that happens, we just talked, all that is, that's abide, my abiding relationship with Jesus. So let me just ask a simple question. That daily walk with Him, to be attuned to Him, how are you doing on that? How are you doing on that daily time with God where you're, you're just pulling aside and you're wanting to be with Him and you're talking to Him and you're in His Word and you're quieting your soul and you're attuning your heart to Him? You've got to have the attunement. That's so critical. Second is attentiveness. You never know what God has in store. Even in the simplest conversation with a friend, you never know when He's going to show up in a Kairos moment. And so you keep your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears open. You're attentive to the things that are going on around you. You kind of have your spiritual radar up, knowing, not expecting, but knowing God could speak to you at any time through anything, right? So you just kind of have this listening ear um, because you want to catch His moments. And I don't know, that attentiveness, maybe that's part of what Paul means by unceasing prayer. Not that I'm just praying all the time, but I've just got this attentiveness to what He might be doing in my life. And then the final thing is responsiveness. I've got to have responsiveness. Or else I'm not going to enter into this circle, right? Um, I'm cultivating in my life the habit of obedience, even in small things. So that when like a kairos moment comes and obedience is required, I'm able to step into it. I mean, you've heard that principle. If, if you can't lift 20 pounds, are you going to be able to lift 50 all of a sudden? No, you've got you've to you've build the muscles up. So in the, all the small things in my life, I'm working to be obedient. 
And I also feel like that trust is crucial to responsiveness. So I'm seeking to grow my trust in God. Okay, if you make kairos moments, if you enter into those, not make them, God brings them, but if you enter into them, here's what your life could end up looking like. Looking like. You could end up living a life of an adventure with God, going to places you never could imagine Him using in what you in ways that you never could imagine. Experiencing Him, because it's ultimately about experiencing Him in ways that are so personal that you never could imagine. And the opposite would be this. It would be missing the moments where God wants to intersect in my life. I just simply stay the course, and I never experience the unique things that God has for me. Wouldn't that be sad to live a life like that? Tragic is maybe a better word. To look back on your life and say, surely the Lord was there, but I was not aware of it. Or worse, surely the Lord was there, but I didn't want to step into it didn't want to step into it. So, that's the model. And this has proven very fruitful for me in my own life. It's given me language to how God interacts. It's given me an understanding of how I need to respond. And I've been sharing, I've shared this with people, and it has been profound in a lot of people's lives. Let me share a scripture that speaks to all this. It's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, where Paul writes this. Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, but as un- not as unwise, but as as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And guess what? Greek word is the word opportunity. Kairos, the command to make the most of every kairos moment that God gives you. Make the most of them. In other words, step into them, lean into them, claim them, take full advantage of them, because they don't happen very often. And they're very precious, so you, you want to claim all of them, right? That's what we want to do. So I just challenge all of us, let us live Ephesians 5 lives to where we are making the most of every Kairos moment where God wants to meet us, whether it's dramatic, whether it's small, that I want to hear it, I want to identify it, I want to take note, I want to enter into it, I want to, to, to come to Him and be responsive, I want to orient my thinking, whatever He's trying to change in the way I perceive things, and I want to participate with it by giving my hands to it. I've got a few final thoughts as I thought about this. Um, What if I miss a Kairos moment? Does that mean my life is ruined? I used to think that when I was an early Christian, the tradition I belonged to, like if you missed a moment of the will of God, you missed every other moment of the will of God attached to that. Like your whole life was set on this horrible trajectory. But I want you to know God is good. Is He not good? He's a good and loving Father. He knows our hearts. He knows the desire of our hearts. He knows that if my heart is attuned to Him and it's attentive and responsive that I miss it, you think He's just going to blow me away because of that, right? He's like any good parent. If a good parent says something and is not heard, I mean, parents, dads, you kind of repeat it, right? And so I really do believe that that's what God does, that if I miss a Kairos moment, He's not just going to let it. If my heart's attuned to Him and I'm longing to follow Him, that He'll make sure that that comes back around. Um, Jack and I were talking the other day about it. He asked if I ever had any of those in my life. And I said, yeah, I actually had a really huge one. When I um, finished seminary, as I was finishing, I had a job to work with college students at a church in Blacksburg. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but they ended up, they got a new pastor and he decided to not have the job. And I got, suddenly I had no job where I thought I had one. And I was doing the same thing I was doing full time when I was working through school. And I didn't know what to do, and I went to a professor who was a mentor, and I said, what would you do? And he goes, Garen, you know very few churches pay people to do college ministry. You're probably going to have to raise support. He said, why don't you just pray and talk to God and ask Him to show you a place to go, and you just go there with no job, and you just take a risk. And when he said that, it really spoke to me. It was a Kairos moment because that hung with me. But guess what I did with that? I balked and I bailed. And I ended up spending a year continuing in my job. And that year was actually important. God used that because He redirected my heart's desires of what He wanted me to do through that. So it wasn't, God's good, okay? And then about a year after that, 
um, it came to a point I felt God saying, the thing he challenged you to do, it's time. So I did. And we came on a lark to Emporia, Kansas with hardly any money and showed up here to start doing ministry with international students and found out once we got here that there was a group, small group of people who were doing some work with internationals and they were actually praying God would send somebody, the Waters family, part of that. We had no clue. But God's good, okay? If your heart's for Him, He's not going to let you wreck your life. Another thought I have is I think we as a community have such an important part of this to be spiritual guides with each other that we need to not only being attuned to our own Kairos moments, and I don't mean this in a weird way, like cults, people are always telling you what to do, but we really, I think, need to be attuned to the people we're around, and because somebody around us may have a God moment or a Kairos moment, and they may not totally recognize it, and I think it's helpful, it's in my time, it was almost like that professor, somebody pointed out and just say something like, hey, did you notice this? In fact, there's two people sitting in here right now who had this in the last couple of weeks, where one of them had something happen, um, a very strong emotional response to something, and I don't know, totally not fully realizing maybe there was something underneath, and a very close friend walking just said, hey, I think that's a Kairos moment. I think you should delve into that. And I sat with this guy last week up on this stage. Nobody was around, um, and we had a conversation about how he pulled that emotion up by the roots, and he found a false narrative underneath and how he was working through that, how he had entered into that. His changing was reorienting, and he was making some commitments to enter that change. And it was because he had a spiritual friend who was willing to say, that might be a Kairos moment. I'm not God, and I can't tell you that, but it might be. Maybe that's worth exploring. So I think that's an important part of this, is that we learn to be that for each other. Okay, I want to give a final warning, a final warning um, about Kairos moments. Because it's easy when I talk about this to start thinking that the spiritual life is going to be one Kairos moment after another. Like, man, I can't wait for this week. I'm going to have one Monday and maybe three Tuesday and five Friday, you know, Thursday. I don't know. Just to expect that. Um, that's one thing that can come out of this. The other thing is I can also start thinking that having a Kairos moment is really spiritual, right? Spiritual people get those. And so the more of those I pile up, the more spiritual I am, right? It's so easy for us to do that. We're addicted to the spectacular in our culture and to the novel. And I just want you to know that neither of those are true. Don't seek these things, okay? Be attuned and attentive, but don't seek them out. God is sovereign, and He will do them. He'll intersect your life when He wants to. I can't make it happen, okay? And they're not the measure of being spiritual. So just because you have one doesn't mean you're more spiritual than your friend who hasn't had one ever or something. I want to remind you that the majority of the Christian life is lived in Kronos time. Most of my Christian life is in Kronos time. Most of my walk with God is in the Kronos. It's in the daily mundane. I preached on that September, November 7th to 2021. Um, it's, just in, it's just living my life faithfully daily, you know, waking up and in my eating and in my praying and in my working and in my walking and in my playing and in my being with my family and in my going to bed, that that's where the Christian life is, is living faithfully there. So just focus on living your life well in the ordinary mundane life that God has for you. I mean, he did, I'm not saying He gives you a mundane life, but just so much of life is ordinary, right? Just walk faithfully with Him. And a missionary friend I was talking to this week said this. He said, Garen, he said, the God who is with me in the Kairos moments is equally with me in the everyday life, okay? So if you believe that, you're not going to seek these out as an experience that you have to have. Okay, before I wrap up, we need to think, I think, of evangelism this way. How many times a Kairos moment has happened in a place where God is wanting is pursuing somebody's heart who's lost, and they don't know it. And they say something, and if you're attuned to it, you'll catch this is a Kairos moment for me to step into. One quick example. There's a business I frequent, trying to build relationships with the people there, um, redemptive relationships. And I was there the week before Pat and I left for our anniversary trip. And I said, hey, I bet you guys are super busy with the, I'm going to call it the DK 
Dirty Kansas, is that okay? I'm just going to keep calling it that. The Dirty Kansas. They said, yep, it was like Wednesday. They said, we're already getting busy. And they said, are you going to watch? Are you in it? And I said, you know, we're almost always gone that weekend. We're going to be away this weekend. Um, We're taking an anniversary trip. And she said to me, my parents are divorced. My grandparents are both divorced. All my siblings got married and they're divorced. Everybody I know is divorced. She said, 37 years. The moment, she says, what's the key to a lasting marriage? And I had a very brief moment, a little balk, balk, right, internally. Oh, if I say God, you know, peop, these, you know, they're going to oh, yeah, right, uh-huh, and fine, Garen, you know, whatever. But I've learned to push past that most of the time. And I said, the key has been... God's been at the center of our life, our relationship with Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us who empowers us to do that. And we have our ups and downs, but God's crucial to it. And she was really interested. And I've got something I'm going to give her. She's gone right now on her own trip, but I've got something I'm going to give her that talks about that. But that was a Kairos moment that God had for her. And I, I think God gives us so many of those. We need to step into them. One of our staff had one of these about a week ago, stepped into it. It was a really subtle one but was attentive and attuned, stepped into it, texted the person after, got a text back, and now a spiritual journey is kind of starting because they stepped into the moment. So, okay. Actually, I have one more thing, if you don't mind, (laughs) before the challenge. I need you to know that God's not the only one who has Kairos moments for you. Um, Satan also has Kairos moments for you. Look at Luke 4.13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. I think the King James says the opportune time. It's Kairos. I want you to know Satan is always looking for an opportune time to strike you in your life, to strike me. He knows how I'm tempted. He knows the patterns of my life, the patterns of my sin. He knows when I'm weak, and he's watching for his Kairos moments. So I just want to challenge you. Rick Warren challenged me this in his book, Purpose Driven Life, a long time ago. Look at the patterns of your own life and learn where you're weak and where you tend to easily succumb to temptation so that you know equally as well. And may we live in 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 where he says, to be alert, watch out because Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So we need to be alert to that because it's not just God that has Kairos moments for me. Satan has some too. And I want God's and I don't want his, Right? Warren Wiersbe, really great quote. Like large doors, great life-changing events can swing on very small hinges. Is that not a great quote? Like large doors, great life-changing events can swing on very small hinges. I thought, yeah, there you are, Rudy. We did that yesterday with the door, right? Small hinges, heavy door. So 12th, my challenge is let us learn to recognize our Kairos moments. Let us live with our hearts attuned to Him, walking with Him, being daily in His Word, cultivating that, attentive to what's going on around us so when a Kairos moment comes, we can recognize it and that we can choose to step into it. We decide to encounter Him in it. I want to meet you in this, Lord. How do you need to reorient my thinking? What, what, what are you going to change in how I perceive you or me or the world around me? And then being willing to be responsive to it and to step into it and participate with him and put my hand to the task. So I meet with my heart, my head, and then my hand. And in doing that, you know, who knows what direction God's going to send me on in my life. It might be huge. It might not. But I think a lot of us have had those. Even if it's small, it's just a new little thing. You're like, Lord, thank you for showing me, meeting me in that way, and taking me on that thing. So, all right, dads, we're going to have donuts for you in a minute. They're not, uh, they're not going to get too stale in three more minutes, okay? It is Father's Day. And parents, we are called to partner together as parents to raise a generation for Christ, right? We are called to work together to help our children know Jesus intimately and personally. And dads, I just want to challenge you. Um, both parents are really important. Dads, you're super important. The research has shown is if you have a mother and a father and one Faith is important, and one, it isn't. The parent children tend to follow is the, one, is the father. 
So if you've got a, this is rare, if you've got a mother where faith is important, but a father where it is, the children tend to go in the direction of the father. If you've got a family where the mother is spiritually, that's important to her, but the dad isn't, the children, again, tend to follow the dad. So dads, you're important. God's created you to be a spiritual leader. Both are important, but you have a very important role today, and I really want to call you into that. And today I want to specifically call you into what I called your wives into a month ago, and I want to point you back to this book, Teach Your Children Well, because she talks in here about how to cultivate in your children the ability to recognize Kairos moments in their own life. And I said it maybe back then, maybe I think I said it a week later, but I know there are guys here who do not like to read, who don't like to study. But dads, it's too important. Those children are souls, you know that? They're little souls that we need to lead into a living relationship with Jesus. And it's too important to be like, I'm not good at that. I don't like that. We have got to lean into things so that we can parent to the best of our ability because it's a stewardship. That's what the video said. We're stewards of it. I recommend this book, Teach Your Children Well. Dads, grab it. Get it with your wife. Work through it. Go through the Kairos part and and learn, how can I help my children to identify? Again, she says as, as early as three and four years of age, Children start having those, and they're needing a parent's help to help them identify it. So, dads, I just challenge you, step up, okay? Get in the game. Get involved. Don't be passive in your fathering, okay? Your wife is dying for you to be a spiritual leader in your home, all right? Can we do that? Can I pray? Father, thank you for the story of Moses. Thank you for this whole concept for these people who named, gave this thing a name that has really stuck with me and helped me, this idea of a Kairos moment. Thank you that we don't just live lives without you, but that you at times want to intersect my life, our lives. You want to meet us in ways that will put us on a new trajectory that will bring change. And Lord, make us a church that enters into those things, a body of people who are attuned to you, who are walking with you, who are attentive to you, and who are responsive, that we want to step into those things. Give us the courage because sometimes the ask you have for us is so huge. So give us the courage we need. But we want to be that kind of people. And Lord, help the dads today. Empower all the fathers to lean into that role and to, to father well and to learn and to get better at it and to steward that gift. Lord, just help empower them. And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 12th, you're sent to live in your Kairos moments, to be aware. And dads, you're sent. Lead your families well, okay? Let's step into that role. So go have a donut. Have a great day.